If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 11. It will be on the screen, however. And this is Jesus' teaching on prayer. We read, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey and has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of his friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead, or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that Luke has recorded for us from your teaching, Lord Jesus, I thank you that we can read it today and meditate on it, and I pray that it will be life and truth to us today, that it will be streams of living water bubbling up within us, refreshing our souls and renewing our minds. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So, um, clearly, and don't let the beard fool you, I am not Andrew Renucci. <laughs> As Linda mentioned, he's come down sick. He actually has, uh, he's feeling a little bit better today and he will be traveling, has been traveling this morning, will be with us for the mentor training for those of you who are involved in that this afternoon. But uh, he couldn't be here with us this morning, so instead you have me. Um, and as Paul said to his name, to uh, my namesake, Timothy, uh, be ready to preach in season and out of season, so we'll see how this goes. I also just wanted to give you a quick update on our Alpha course. Um, we've had about 60 people regularly each week uh, to our Alpha uh, course. It's been wonderful. And yesterday was our Holy Spirit Day, and it was just so beautiful to see people um, being prayed for, people encountering the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, um, experiencing the love and presence of God. It was just such a privilege to be part of that. And um, I'm aware that a couple of people put their faith in Jesus for the first time yesterday, so that is amazing. Praise God for that. And it just reminds me, you know, Alpha is hard, Alpha is inconvenient, Alpha is expensive, but it's worth it. Amen to that. So this week we're starting a new series called Walking with Jesus, or Walking with God. 
And so how do we walk with God in the midst of the trenches of ordinary daily life? You know, when life is busy, when the pressure is on and you've got work and kids and school and uni and friends and sport and church and all the other stuff that you have to do week in, week out, cleaning, cooking, shopping, all of that, how do you fit it all in and also find time for God for a rich devotional prayer life? Does anyone feel the tension of all of that? Yeah, there's an amen in the house this morning. How do we find time to be with Jesus? And how do we find time to be with Jesus in a way that is refreshing and strengthening to us? As we know from John 15, Jesus teaches us that we must abide in him, we must remain in him, for apart from him, we can do nothing. So to remain or abide in Christ is the central practice of all the spiritual practices that fuel our discipleship and that give us power and strength to be obedient. The problem is, if you're anything like me, you probably struggle with prayer or have struggled with prayer uh, through the, the, your life as a disciple. You know, you've tried to be consistent with it, but you found it hard. Sometimes you found it really dry. Sometimes, if you're honest, you found it quite boring. Um, you find it hard to concentrate. We get so easily distracted, don't we? Especially when our phones are beeping at us constantly. Or when you try to be quiet and still and the monkey mind just won't turn off and everything that you're trying not to think about in the moment as you pray suddenly comes to the surface of your mind and you can't stop thinking about all those things and you're trying to be spiritual but everything else crashes in on you. So it's easy to get discouraged as well and it, sometimes it can feel like though we pray, does it ever really seem to change anything? Is God really listening? And you start to ask questions like, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with my faith? Um, maybe if I was a better Christian, a more mature Christian, if I was more disciplined, if I was more righteous, maybe I'm too sinful, maybe if I could get these things sorted out, then God would really listen to me and I would have a rich prayer life. Thing is, I don't think the problem is our desire to pray. I haven't met many Christians throughout my life who haven't wanted to grow in their prayer life in some ways. So the issue is not desire. Um, I don't know many Christians who haven't felt frustrated with their prayer life um, and have wanted to, to learn how to pray effectively. So the desire, the, the, the desire to grow, to learn to pray effectively is not the issue. We want to grow in this, but how can we grow? Uh, I'm not sure there's a formula, so if you were hoping I'd give you the formula this morning for how you actually make this work, I'm sorry to disappoint you. Someone once said to me that the art of leadership is learning to disappoint people gently. Um, I'm not so sure that's true, but it's uh, something I've definitely experienced as a leader. Um, but I think there are a couple of things that we can discover that Jesus taught us and taught his disciples about prayer that will help. And I think if we can understand these, or understand at least the foundation for uh, prayer, the foundation that enables us to pray well, it will change our relationship to prayer from one of frustration and disappointment and maybe even some guilt to, I think, something that will be a deep source of joy and peace to us that will strengthen our walk with Jesus. So first, let me ask, how would you define prayer? If someone was to ask you, what is, what is going on when we pray? What are we doing when we pray? How would you define it? Some, the Christian mystic Simone Weil once said that prayer is coming to attention. I really love that, coming to attention, being attentive to God's presence, being aware of God's presence. 
focusing our lives on him, focusing our hearts on him. It's not necessarily doing anything as much as pausing and being aware that God is with us already. I really like that. Another one uh, by Pastor Wayne Cuderio says that prayer is thinking deeply about something in the presence of God. I really like that one. Maybe that's because I spend too much time thinking about things. Uh, I spend too much time in my head, but this, uh, you know, this gives me some confidence that actually when I'm dwelling on something, when I'm thinking deeply about something, that it can be an act of prayer, that the Holy Spirit wants to be part of that conversation. And that's, I think, something that's very simple and yet very powerful that we can do, that to remember that when we are wrestling with something, when we have something on our minds that we're trying to figure out, or maybe we're worried about something, and we have to make a decision, uh, I can think it out in the presence of God. I can actually ask the Holy Spirit to speak with me in the process of thinking through these things, that I don't just have to figure it out on my own, but this act of thinking, dwelling, can become an act of prayer. And all I really have to do in that moment is say, Lord, what do you think about this? Can you help me understand this? Is there anything that you want to tell me about this? And to wait and to listen. So I really like that. Prayer is thinking deeply about something in the presence of God. Or here's one you'll know from Philippians 3, where Paul says that prayer is, is like this, that the Lord is near, so don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So notice that when we pray, when we present our requests to God, he may not radically alter our circumstances or give us exactly what it is that we're asking for, but the promise is that we will receive his peace. And that is ultimately what guards our hearts and our minds, the peace of Christ. That's what holds us, even in times of confusion or difficulty or suffering, to remember that the Lord is near and where the Lord is, there is freedom, there is peace, there is life that I don't have to manufacture it, I can just trust in the promise that when I turn to my Father in heaven, he is there, he is with me, he is near. But I think my favorite quote comes from G.K. Chesterton, who once said this, that you say grace before meals. All right, but I say grace before the concert. Now, he wrote this in the 19th century. And the opera, and grace before the play and the pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in ink. I really, really like that. Because I think the point is, and this has really helped me uh, in, my, in the development of my own prayer life, is that prayer shouldn't necessarily be thought of as one category of activity and everything else we do as a different category of activity. I think the goal actually in all prayer, in the end, is to reach a point in our walking with Jesus where we never really stop praying. I don't mean that we've always got our eyes closed and our head bowed and our hands clasped together. No, I mean that as we are walking with Jesus in friendship, and if you remember the context of John 15 where he calls us to abide, he also says, you're not my servants, you're my friends. I call you my friends, so abide in me. So the abiding, the remaining in Jesus is an act of friendship, of growing in friendship. And so I think that as we walk with Jesus in friendship, we are to be in constant conversation with him. Uh, we're 
I guess, to grow in that constant awareness that he is with us, that he is near us, even if sometimes he's just on the periphery of our spiritual vision, that we can grow to understand that prayer is not something we do before we do other things, but prayer is embedded or should be embedded into everything that we do, that we might be able to turn everything that we do into an act of prayer. And when we, there we, we can walk with that sense of prayer without ceasing, uh, where prayer becomes integrated into the wholeness of our lives and brings a wholeness to our lives, a spirituality of the ordinary that gives everything we do a rich sense of purpose imbued with a sense of worship, no matter how trivial or mundane it may seem. So prayer shouldn't be thought of as a duty to perform or a commitment to fulfill because I think God will love us the same no matter if we pray or not. As Jesus said of the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And I think the same is true of prayer. Prayer was made for man, not man for prayer. Uh, we don't pray for God's benefit. We pray for our own benefit. Prayer is an invitation into a life of abiding peace in which we can feel the strength and the creativity and the life of God in everything that we do. So I love what Brother Lawrence said in his beautiful little book, The Practice of the Presence of God. Next slide. Uh, I think this is awesome. He does not ask much of us, merely a thought of him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for his grace, sometimes to offer him your sufferings, at other times to thank him for the graces past and present that he has bestowed on you. In the midst of your troubles, to take solace in him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to him during your meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to him. One need not cry out very loudly, he is nearer to us than we think. There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. I think that's really freeing. I don't know about you, but for much of my life, I have struggled with prayer as a duty, and unfortunately, because I often fail in that duty, it has become something tinged with guilt. And as you might know, when something feels like it's guilt-laden, it becomes harder and harder to do over time. You don't want to enter into that because it stirs up negative emotions. But I think this frees us from thinking of prayer as a duty, and instead of something that we can embed into the whole of our lives, into the activity of ordinary life, in the midst of everything that we're doing throughout the day. We don't have to set aside prayer as one type of thing and everything else we do as another. We can bring those two things together. And I think that's the call of discipleship, to learn how to walk with Jesus in friendship in everything that we're doing, not just in the spiritual stuff. Are you with me? And I think, therefore, when we look at Luke chapter 11, which is one of Jesus' clearest teachings on prayer, we can enter into a framework of understanding. And now, you might have heard me preach on this before a couple of years ago. This is one of these passages that I like to return to, like the prodigal son, every couple of years if I can, because I think it's so foundational to the Christian life. So don't stop me if you've heard this before. Uh, what we see in Luke 11 is the disciples coming to Jesus to ask him to teach them how to pray. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. Now, as far as I'm aware, this is the only time that the disciples ever asked Jesus to specifically teach them something. 
Yes, they'd asked many times for clarification on his teaching, something that might have confused them, but this is the only time that they said, Lord, teach us this specific thing. We wanna know how you pray. Teach us how to pray, just as John taught his disciples. And why prayer? Why not teach us how to preach like you do? Or teach us how to cast out demons? Or teach us how to heal the sick or raise the dead? or to evangelize, or to lead, or even teach us why there's so much suffering in the world, why bad things happen to good people. That's a question we get asked all the time on the Alpha Course. Why is there so much suffering? This is a deep question that so many want an answer to. Why didn't the disciples ask that question? Gee, I really wish they had. Are you with me? But no, they didn't ask that question. Instead, they asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. So why prayer? And the reason I believe is because the disciples knew that all of Jesus' ministry, his teaching, his healing, his deliverance, his miracles, all of it flowed from his relationship with his Father. As Jesus himself said, the Son does nothing by himself. He only does that which he sees the Father doing. And Jesus saw what the Father was doing in prayer when he would go away by himself to spend time with his Father, to seek his Father's presence, he was seeing and learning from the Father what it was the Father wanted to do. As the disciples had seen every morning, Jesus would go off and they wanted to know what was going on when you go off by yourself to pray. What are you doing? What is happening in that moment? And they knew that the reason that Jesus could do what he was doing in his ministry was because of prayer. It was not some technique, it was not some magic formula, it is relationship, it is friendship. So Lord, we've seen the way you pray. We've seen how important it is to you. We've seen how it is the source of your ministry and your power. So Lord, teach us to pray as you do. See, prayer is such an amazing privilege. Daryl Johnson, who we've heard from before in this church over the last couple of years, uh, writes this in his book, 57 Words That Changed the World. I think this is on the slide, that prayer is such a wonderful gift because through it, Jesus grants us what the mathematician philosopher Blaise Pascal called the dignity of causality. That is, when we pray, God is granting us the unspeakable privilege of partnering with him in fulfilling his purposes in the world. And no prayer has given us that privilege more than the Lord's Prayer, which is what we're gonna look at together in just a moment, and which is where Jesus begins his teaching on prayer. So Jesus clearly believed in the power of prayer and even he, the second person of the Trinity, needed to pray. And if he needed to pray, then surely we do as well. So he responds to his disciples' request and he says this, here is how you should pray. And he teaches them this shorter version of the Lord's Prayer, which I don't think is meant to be a formula, but a framework for understanding what is going on when we pray. It's not, I think, that we should only ever pray these words, but we should always pray with this kind of heart, with this kind of understanding. In fact, it's my suspicion that the Lord's Prayer is as much about becoming the kinds of people that look like the Lord's Prayer in our daily life, as it is something that we're just called to say. In other words, it's a vision for what a well-formed disciple looks like as they grow in relationship with God, as they walk with Jesus in friendship over time. I don't have time to flesh that out more this morning. That's something I wanna come back to another time. But like everything else in the Christian life, it starts with prayer and everything is embedded in prayer. So let's read it. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation or save us from the time of trial. Amen and amen. I've said this before, but what's one of the first things you notice about this prayer? This prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. One of the first things that stands out to me is how short it is, right? It takes about 20 seconds to pray that prayer. So it's short, and it's also to the point. There's no fluff, there's no repetition, there's no pleading, there's no droning on with lofty words, there's no begging. It is clear and direct. In fact, when Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter five, his preface to the prayer goes like this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. So is there anyone here who struggles with prayer, who finds it difficult? Anyone here who finds it challenging or sometimes confusing? The good news for all of us is that prayer doesn't need to be complicated or difficult. Jesus actually expects our prayers to be short and to the point. In other words, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and get on with it. Pray directly, pray with confidence, pray with faith, pray without using lots of babbling lofty words. As we uh, often hear in the off course actually, there's a Catholic priest in the film who teaches us that there are three things to remember when we pray and I love this, he says number one, Keep it simple. Number two, keep it short. Number three, keep it going. Beautiful, keep it simple, keep it short, keep it going. I think that's quite freeing, actually. Keep it simple, keep it short, keep it going. And the prayer begins with simply this. Father. Father. Why? Why Father? For you have a Father who loves you and who knows what you need. You don't need to earn a place at his table or impress him with clever, wordy, theologically lofty prayers. When you pray, pray to your Father and be honest, be real, tell him what you need. Don't faff around. This is so important because underneath it all, the power of prayer is not actually our prayer. It's not about whether we get it right, whether we've nailed the formula. The power of prayer is what? Is our Father to whom we pray. The one to whom we pray because it all depends on Him. And that's why the most important word in the Lord's Prayer is that first one, Father because everything that comes after that word and everything that flows from that word and everything depends entirely on that word, the one to whom we are praying. And so you can pray with confidence 
when you come to your Father in heaven, who is hallowed, yes, who is holy, yes, who is almighty, yes, but he's also Father, he's also Abba, as Jesus addressed him, and as Paul encourages us to address him. Abba, Father, and he has come close to us, he draws near to us when we pray, when we seek his face, that he might attend to our needs. He is our Father, not just God in the abstract, and that is so crucial. He's not just the abstract power to whom we pray, he is our Father, he is the the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if we've seen Jesus, we have seen the Father. So when we turn to the Father, we know what He's like because we've seen what Jesus is like. And the Holy Spirit who dwells in us and enables us to pray, reveals Jesus more fully to us, leads us into all truth. So when we step into the moment of prayer, we're stepping into something that is already going on around us from everlasting to everlasting. We don't begin the prayer, we don't end the prayer, we just step into something that is happening eternally forever and we can get on with it because we know there's a dynamic at work that does not depend on us, that is not stirred up by us, that is not created by us, that doesn't have to be even figured out by us. We can simply say, Father, and he hears us because we're embedded into the life of the triune God. And all of that is going on in us and around us all the time. And so when we pray, God who is your Father wants us to be direct with Him. He wants us to speak directly to Him. So that's why Jesus says, you can ask your Father for what you need and trust that He hears you and because He loves you, He will answer you, He will reward you. And faith, I think, is learning to just leave it at that. You ask for what you need, and you let the answer come from God. You don't try to make something happen. You have faith such that you can say, Father, this is what I need, and I trust you that you will answer in the time or when the time is right. So there's no pleading, there's no begging, there's no groveling, but that's how slaves speak. That's how servants speak. And we are not servants, we are not slaves. We are children, we are children. So Jesus teaches us to pray to our Father in heaven with such forthrightness, with such faith, that dare I say it, with such shameless audacity, that we are given permission to speak to God in the imperative. And the Lord's Prayer is full of these imperatives, these command verbs. Come, your kingdom. Be done, your will. Give us our daily bread. Like these are imperative verbs. A slave does not speak to a master in the imperative. That would get you killed. But a child is allowed to speak to a parent in the imperative. I need this. Can you help me? Children are allowed to speak in the imperative because we are loved, because we are welcomed at the table. We are allowed to pray with this kind of shameless audacity to God because God is not just a distant abstract being, but he is our father. And as God's children, we are never, ever, ever expected to beg or to grovel or to plead. That is not the kind of relationship our father wants us to have with him. 
That is not the kind of relationship any parent in this room who loves their children would want their children to have with them. That your children have to beg and plead and grovel in order to get what they need. No loving parent would treat their children in that way and our loving Heavenly Father does not treat us in that way either. He does not expect us to beg or to plead or to grovel before him. We are not slaves, we are children. And that's why this prayer then invites us to speak to God with this kind of breathtaking boldness. And to underline the point, Jesus tells this story. Let's go back to it. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread for a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now the point of this story, and it's often misunderstood, is absolutely not that in order to get what we need from God, that we have to bother him persistently in the middle of the night until he'd be willing to get up and answer us. Now there is a place for persistence in prayer, absolutely. But that's not what this parable is talking about. And so some of your Bibles might actually have the word persistence in verse eight, that because of his persistence, because he was beating on the door for so long that the guy inside the house is like, look, just if I get up and give you what you need, will you go away? And that's the impression that the word persistence gives, that because you kept beating on the door, eventually you got what you wanted. But that's now universally recognized as an incorrect translation. Nearly all Bibles now have boldness, or here in the NIV, shameless audacity. And why, and why does it have this? Because the point of the story is that if you are willing to go boldly to God, even in the middle of the night, with shameless audacity, with such boldness and forthrightness and faith, there is no way that God would ever respond to you in the way that the man in this story does. Go away, I'm in bed, just leave me alone. The story is forming a hypothetical question. Can you imagine a friend or a neighbor doing this? See, in the Middle East at the time of Jesus, they had very strict hospitality codes. And such a response would have been unthinkable. Everyone in the village had a responsibility to help provide for a neighbor's guest. If you didn't want to bring great shame on yourself or on your family, you would therefore absolutely get up in the middle of the night, even in the middle of the night, to help your neighbor to give your neighbor whatever they need to set before their guest. In fact, even more than they need. And of course, this attitude persists in many cultures even now. So those hearing this story would know that the expected response to the question, can you help me even in the middle of the night, would you get up and help me provide for a guest? The expected answer would have been, yes, of course, I will get up. How much do you need? It would never be, go away, I'm asleep. That would have been a disastrously shameful thing to do. Like if you ever wanted to show your face in the village again, you would definitely not do that. If you'd refused your neighbor, you would have brought such shame on yourself that you would have been avoided and ostracized. It would be unthinkable, it would be social suicide. And the point of this story is that just like in this parable, 
The hypothetical answer to the question is, yes, of course, I will get up and help you. How much do you need? The point is that God answers us in the same way as well. God would never send us away if we come to him with shameless audacity, if we come to him with boldness, if we come to him with faith, if we come to him with, uh, with that willingness to ask for what we need, like a child, that God will not turn us away. If we go to him in the middle of the night in need, God will not turn us away. He will not refuse you. He will get up and give you what you need. You don't need to beg and you don't need to plead and you don't need to beat on the door with persistence until you've bothered him to the point where he will answer you. No, all you have to do is go into your room, close the door, turn to your Father in heaven who loves you, ask for what, you're, what you need and he will answer you. And so the very fact that you had the audacity to go with a need and to pray with faith, in response to this, what does Jesus then go on to say? If you are willing to ask, what will happen? You will receive. If you are willing to seek, what will happen? You will find. If you are willing to knock, what will happen? the door will be opened to you. If you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened to you. I guess the question that this raises for me is how much do I trust in what Jesus is saying to me here? Because I know that for me, as probably for many of you, I read this and immediately I think of all the reasons that this won't happen, or all the occasions in my life where God perhaps hasn't answered me in the way that I expected. Or maybe I'm still waiting for an answer to something that I've been praying about for years. Is there an amen in the house? The thing is, and we have to be really careful with these kinds of teaching because we can easily manipulate it into something that I don't think Jesus means to say, because if we go on into the rest of the passage, Jesus clarifies what he means when he says, if you ask, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. He then says, and you fathers and mothers, though you're evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children, right? So how much more? How much more will your Father in heaven give you exactly what you ask for? Is that what Jesus said? No. If we go to the next slide. If you then, verse 13, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now this takes us back to what Paul says about prayer. Don't be anxious for any, about anything, but in everything, in prayer and petition, make your requests known to God and God will give you peace. The Lord is near and that peace will guard your hearts and your minds. What is never promised is that our circumstances will change. What's never promised is that we'll get exactly what we ask for. What's never promised is that God will just drop the blessings out of the sky into our lap. What is promised always is that he will give us not necessarily what we ask for, but something even better, something infinitely better. God will give us himself. He will give us the spirit. And the spirit is the spirit of freedom 
who gives us power to what? To overcome. Power to face the challenges of life with courage and with conviction and with strength and with love. The Holy Spirit is given to us every time we turn our faces to our Father in heaven and ask him for help. His answer to us is always, yes, let me give you as much of myself as you need, even more than you need. How much more, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And so no matter what we may be going through in our lives or the circumstances we're in or the challenges that we face, there is one thing that God always gives when we ask him in prayer. He always gives us himself. He always gives us more of his presence. He always gives us more of his spirit so that we can be reminded, as Paul says in Romans 8, that we are not orphans, that we are not alone, that we are filled with the spirit who gives us the ability to say, Abba, Father, and that reminds us day in and day out that we are the children of God. So the question I wanna ask you this morning as we finish up here, as I invite the band to come on up, is how much more of God do you need this morning? How much of his presence do you need this morning? And do you feel that you have the shameless audacity to ask him, to pour out more of himself upon you. I saw this happening yesterday as we prayed for people on our Holy Spirit Day on the Alpha Course. It was beautiful just to watch people experience the gentle love and presence of God. And I think that that's something that's available to all of us and that's what gives us the strength to face the challenges of life. So I invite you to stand and we are going to just take a moment to turn to our Father in heaven and ask him and to seek him and to knock, believing that he hears us and that he will pour out his spirit upon us. So I invite you just to close your eyes, open up your hands in an attitude of surrender.